Uh, let's say a quick prayer and then we'll get started. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Lord Jesus Christ, you were born into a family, lived in a family, and cultivated a family. By your Holy Spirit, may we always be drawn into your family, that we might know you more and more each day. For you live and reign with the Father and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. All right. A few things. Today's the last day for nominations for a call. So take care of that. If you got anybody. Number two. There is no Thanksgiving Eve service this year um, for a variety of reasons. One is, well, let's be honest, the cost-benefit analysis of those who show up and the, the, those who are required to be there. That means staff and the congregation. And um, we, I, me, under my leadership, decided to uh, not have it this year because not enough people came for the amount of staff required to make it work. There you go. Um, so when is the service? There is no Thanksgiving Eve service. I'll start that once again. No Thanksgiving Eve service. No. I hopefully you're with your family on Thanksgiving Day. Praise be to God. I love it, Carol. Touche. All right. Um, Carol, I will give you the, the mission to convince everybody else to believe that, which I firmly believe, and then we will plan accordingly. I, actually, is, I'm not joking, actually. If everyone actually saw the church as their family, that would, re, that would reinterpret all of our holiday plans. So I would say, let's not even, let's just, we could start with Thanksgiving, but let's not finish with Thanksgiving. One of the great joys and, and things I had this last year um, is on Easter Monday, just because they're here, I'm gonna, well, maybe they're not here, I don't know if they're here. Uh, Will and G invited me and along with the other church, a lot of church people to their apartment in Chicago. And I said to my wife, Holly, Holly, this is exactly what I would love to do at St. John on Sunday, Easter. Because what happened at the Thompsons on Easter Monday was family getting together and family that was joined by not human blood, but the, by the blood of Jesus. Foreshadow, right there, that's a foreshadow of what's gonna happen here on Sunday morning. And it was a blast. Uh, it was one of those things where uh, you, this common blood we shared drew us closer and closer together. Um, and I would love to do that on Easter Sunday, but I know all of us, it's complicated. Family's complicated. Do anyone want to raise your hand and agree with that? Or not? I mean, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe I'm the only one. I don't know. Okay. So, Carol, back to Carol's comment. I'm working on it. Let's put it that way, Carol. I'm working on it. Okay. There's a little side note here. I just want to uh, thanks to Mary Caesar, Maria Gronwald. Seth Holman, uh, Savannah Schmitz, Holly Nelson, 
Um, I didn't write these down. I said I'm not going to forget them. Oh, Jennifer Gromwald. I'm missing someone. Who helped out with the confirmation game night? Thank you very much to everybody. I really appreciate it. That was very nice. I love it. Okay, last but not least is a little something happened at church service at 8.30 that I thought uh, was brought to my attention and I thought we should spend a couple minutes talking about it. And that is, what happens if you receive the body and blood twice? Or let's say the body comes by and the blood doesn't come by until the body comes by again. What should you do? Okay, this is, when we work in terms of eternity and infinity, a little infinity and a lot of infinity are what? The same. Thank you very much. So, uh, <laughs> there was a couple. Well, I don't, there could have been more, but the couple came up to me and said, hey, just, uh, you know, wanted to ask what we should do. I said, you did the right thing. You stayed there and you got the body of Christ twice and the blood of Christ once. Um, and then at the end of the service, you know, a gentleman was praying earnestly and somebody at the altar said, oh, hey, you didn't get the blood of Jesus. So we tried to go give him it twice. And he said, oh, I already got it. That, which is a fine answer. That's the right answer. Or he could have just said some more and it would have been the same. <laughs> I, so this, I, I, I thought about this a long time ago. There was a gentleman at one of the uh, continuing education things I was at a long time ago. And he talked about how when he was a pastor, there was a, a mom who came kind of flustered with all the kids crawling on her and she's trying to have the, you know, she's trying to receive communion. And, and he said, you know what, she should probably come back again. Need a little extra. You know? Just <laughs> make it through the week. Because she seemed like, which is, you know, the right answer. But, I mean, but again, a little infinity, a lot of infinity, it's all the same. So if you find yourself, because Pastor Nelson has a tendency to go a little too fast during communion. I don't know if you noticed that. I'm the only one standing around a lot of times because I'm waiting. I, I try my best to slow down. I do not know why I go so fast. But if that's the case, and I happen to give you the body of Christ twice, no, you don't, you don't have to worry about it. Oh, yeah, question. Would the heavy breathing of your assistants help? You're, yeah, that could, that could help. I, I, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't know what to say to it. I don't know what to say to it. All right, those are all the announcements. Okay, uh, finding your spot in the Holy Family, Holy Church. I realized that uh, this uh, outline for today's class was originally 15 pages. And then I chopped it in half. And then I realized it's still, it's still too long. So we're, we're going to do our best to get through some of these things. I, you know, I'm going to, I'll be done, whatever, in, in five weeks. Because... Um, there's a lot of things. As I said earlier, I don't know if you, but if, if everybody's family is a little bit screwed up, every family needs healing, 
And if every family needs healing, then there are particular things to each family that needs healing. And what my proposal is that we all receive healing through Jesus precisely in the Holy Family. Side note, some, of the peop- some people ask me over the week, hey, can you like, put the name of the person and the title of the work of the artwork in the thing? So just FYI, icons are not signed. So it's not like it's a piece of art. So there's a couple icons from last week that I, I have no idea who did them because I don't know personally who did it. The reason why we know the person who did our icon is because we personally, you know, it's not an imaginary person. We actually know the person that made it. So, but she didn't sign it. Uh, the reason why I say that is because the first piece of art is uh, the beautiful mess, which I love. Because I think that describes family. The messy part, I think most people agree with. The beautiful part might be uh, arguable. But anyways, everyone belongs to a family. And what's interesting is the U.S. Bureau came up, uh, this is, you can look this up from the census in 2020. The family is defined as two or more individuals who are related by birth, marriage, or adoption. That's, that's okay, great, no problem. Although they also may include other unrelated people. So, not sure what that means. Although, I think for some people it might say, oh, I know what that means, because in my, my instance, this is what it is. Okay, that's not real helpful. That's helpful for you, but maybe not for everybody. And then, I don't know if you guys remember, but Sprint, which I think is, doesn't exist anymore, right? The, the phone company? T-Mobile. T-Mobile now, right? Okay. Well, they had an ad campaign with the Robinsons. Robinsons? I don't know if you guys remember this. Uh, but it was about a family plan. The Framley plan is friends and family and the one thing, which again, I, I just say this as a, I'm not, this is not a moral judgment against Sprint, but the family is made up of a different species, the mouse was a dad, a dad was a mouse, literally a mouse in a little like ball that rolled around, he could talk, uh, there was a grandpa who obviously could not father a mouse, just, yep. Um, and then there was this guy named, it's pronounced Gordon. Gordon, we weren't quite sure if he was a brother or not. And that was intentional. Like it was. And then, um, then uh, there's there maybe cartoon birds in the family. So this is the idea of family. Like what, what does this mean? In an effort, but of course they wanted to include everybody, family and friends, it doesn't really, we don't want to get into definitions, which is, that's fine, they're making money, they want to make money, that, that's what they should do. But the point though is, is that they, they, say, they, they, they obviously did this ad campaign because they thought it would resonate with people. And that's the part that might be difficult for us to understand, but we have to make note of it because in an effort to be inclusive, had they kind of made families in, unintelligible, like, what is it then? Like, do we know what it is? But the thing is, though, there's a veneer of respectability within this idea of inclusiveness. And I say it's a veneer, though, because it doesn't actually deal with what is happening in the family. So the fact that this could resonate with people is because families are probably broken. Right? Like, a family. Now, again, 
I grew up with the idea of a family with parents and kids. But of course, that could be challenged even more because within the biblical framework, family is like your whole family. So, you know, the Nelson family reunion. Every five years on the old Nelson homestead, and we have, you know, whatever, a few hundred people show up. But for the most part, we always think about the quote-unquote nuclear family. But to be inclusive, though, which is, is, is right, we also have to have something that they're coming into that is uh, intelligible, something you can grasp and then live in. So, again, this idea, though, it, it, so this idea of veneer respectability creates a moral alibi, meaning I don't have to deal with my wounds because it's okay to have a mouse as a dad because he's better than my real dad. But by doing that, though, I ask the question, are we creating orphans? And this is, this is like a real thing. When someone lives life without a family, and orphans, of course, is parents, then do we have a, just a generation of orphans? Real question. Okay. Um, now, again, these are more kind of societal questions, maybe not necessarily personal questions, but just kind of work living out. Now, what we have to do is what Jesus does in Matthew 19, because we, don't, we do have to reimagine families, but not according to our weaknesses. We want to reimagine family according to the beginning, which actually goes with, to Carol's question. So we must follow Jesus in Matthew 19. So Matthew 19, Jesus is confronted by the Pharisees, and they want to ask about divorce, which is actually a question about family. And Jesus keeps trying to reorient the question not according to their weaknesses or to the hardest of heart, but to the beginning, to Genesis. And he does that twice in this passage. Um, and that's what we do. do. As a church, we need to, we need to uh, people who are, are kind of orphans, we need to bring them back to the Holy Family. We need to bring back to the beginning the way things are meant to be, the way things that God had created and, of course, the things that Christ had saved. And the reason why this is is because, I mean, once uh, my pro pro proposition is that once humanity loses sight of God, a God who loves them, in fact, a God who loves them so much that he calls them through his son, Jesus, to live in him and with him, and then once... Because once you live in Jesus, right? Jesus was born in a family. He has a father. He has a mother. That great mystery of the family revealing or reflecting, I should say reflecting, the Holy Trinity, once we lose sight of that, the only thing left is just then kind of a merely material aspect of life. It's just nothing more than just kind of a desperate search for gain. Could be stuff. Could be emotional psychological, whatever. Yeah, I would, say, I would say once we lose sight, you know, Pastor Mummy did a really nice job at the sermon, and an outgrowth of his sermon would be understanding how Jesus, who marries the bride, creates family, 
And once you lose sight of the bridegroom who loves forever and ever, then, then we, we don't understand family. You just don't, you don't get it. And, and then we're left to our own. Okay, but this is the thing. This is, I think, where the church really needs to kind of sit down and reflect upon this because this is the, the, this is the, the way things are. And you can be upset with it. You can be annoyed with it, but that's not real helpful. Or you could, you could acknowledge actually what's happening, which means is that people, according to what's inside of them, you, you know, because God's made you this way, and when sin breaks that, there's something not right within you. And so you begin to search for the healing in all different ways. So whether it's a family with a mouse as a dad, for instance. But see, this is where the church knows the good news. A person's unknown to themselves. They just know something's wrong, but they don't know exactly what, and they don't know what it means. So this is where the Holy Family and the church living the Holy Family then comes in and says, I have something to say. And you have a place to live. All right, so that's why the hopes of the family, all families, broken families, I think I just wrote family, but I should say, well, yeah, it's all families. Broken, every, every family is broken, so. Uh, are fulfilled in the gospel, because when we encounter the Heavenly Father through the forgiveness of sins, and this is most explicitly portrayed in the prodigal son parable, then we're restored to the primary family, and the primary family is the family of God. Because all of our families are supposed to reveal or point to the Holy Family. So this is why the Holy Family is the source of all earthly families. Which goes back to Carol's question. The most important family is maybe not necessarily our biological family. It's not the human blood, but it's the blood of Jesus. But because of that, then, it's very inclusive, because the blood of Jesus is for everybody. And then that blood of Jesus, then, is not only for, it's for everybody precisely because it's the life, it's actually the life that we have. Like, it courses through our veins, whether you have it once or twice. Again, this is what happens in holy baptism. By virtue of holy baptism, we're, we're, we're born again in the Holy Family. The Holy Spirit, okay, so then you're given the Holy Spirit, and that's real, but it needs to be cultivated, because God gives you all the gifts. He gives you everything in holy baptism, and then we have the rest of our life cultivating that, which, of course, some of us forget about or simply ignore, and that's why the church, and this is what I would argue, too, is that even Christians need to be evangelized. We always need to be told the story of our salvation, including the family. Because the Holy Spirit empowers and enlivens us to live a life flourishing and thriving. John 10.10. 10. I came to give life and give it abundantly. Abundantly, overflowing, never quite done, always more and more. But of course, 
The problem isn't the Holy Spirit. So the problem isn't God. The problem isn't your holy baptism. The problem is, is that we don't draw from that well. But, which means then, if you're like, oh, pastor, you're, you know, I grew up in a crazy family. You know, first of all, welcome to the club. Don't think you're so special. <laughs> I mean, honestly, do not think you're that special. You don't get a prize for being the most screwed up, okay? Just, I just want to make sure. Because I, I can't tell you how many times I've talked to people who said, well, yeah, I'm a pastor, but you don't know. Like, what does it matter? Okay, you win. You got it. You got the most screwed up family in the entire universe forever and ever. Okay, so now, do we have that settled now? Let's actually deal with healing. It's, it's one of those weird things that I deal with as a pastor sometimes. You just don't get it. First of all, you don't know me. I mean, I know a lot of people think they know me, but, right? I mean, it's kind of a weird thing, right? Like, you don't know that much about me. Some of you might know my middle name. Some of you might not. Some of you might know I have, on my mom's side of the family, 40 cousins. I'm sorry. Yeah, 40 cousins. (laughs) I have a lot. And great kids, great grandkids of my grandparents on my mom's side, are, it's over 100. Just think about those family reunions. So when you have that many people in one family, guess what, what you're going to have a lot of? A lot of screwed up people. Okay? <laughs> Again, I, I don't think anybody on my mom's side would disagree with that. They would wonder if it's the other guy, though, if it's me. That's so... Okay, so the whole point, though, is, and I see a question back there, Bruce, just one second, is that, um, so every family is meant for flourishing and thriving, and rather than saying, oh, they have it so easy, we should say, praise be to God, he's alive in his, that person's life. Because all glory goes to God, not to ourselves. So if you see someone in church that you say, man, they are just, I wish I was like them. Well, guess what? Praise be to God, the Holy Spirit's alive in them. It's not them. Which means then, since it's not about them, it's about the Holy Spirit, guess what you have? You have the same gift. You have the same Spirit. But we all need, we all need help. I mean, goodness gracious. So, Bruce. You're, you're preaching to the choir. As you yeah, right. Because you have a job. Yep. The problem today is, is that the family is, if you think it's screwed up in the Christian world, it's really screwed up throughout the world. I mean, most of the problems in, in, in the inner city is there's no fathers. The, the church doesn't seem to stand up and share the good news of what we have. It, it, all sorts of things. LGBTQ, okay? God said a family, father, mother, how do we as a church, first we have to heal ourselves, obviously, and that mm-hmm. comes through the power of the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. We have to submission to Jesus Christ. Yeah. Listening okay. to what he says. But then if we get the whole church there, we all see, oh, we're good, we're happy, we're fine. When we really need to go out there and the harvest is ready, we need to go out and start pulling people in. Yeah, no, no, okay, but hang on, though. No. Uh, first, you have to acknowledge how you're screwed up, because this is the one, when you approach families who are screwed up, 
you approach families with empathy. I, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. Because the world thinks you guys don't know anything about them. And you have to convince them that you know exactly what it is. And, and so, yeah, Bruce, this is what we're doing here, man. This is what we're spending the next six weeks on, figuring out how to approach, because we also have to know, first of all, ourselves, and we have to know how the Holy Family gives healing to our family. Because if you don't experience the healing, you can't share it with anybody. I mean, you could, you could share, like, head knowledge. Yeah, this is the way it's supposed to be. But if that person that you're talking to doesn't actually think that you've experienced it yourself, they'll, they'll be like, whatever, man. Or as my kids say, bruh. <laughs> whatever, bruh. Did anyone else, did anyone other kids say this? By the way, tangent, just because we're talking about male and female. So in Scripture, mankind, or the word man, is inclusive. It's an inclusive term. So you'll read like old texts where like man, male, female. Like to talk about Genesis 1. And of course that's been like, you know, verboten, right, in modern times. But my high school kids keep calling everyone brah. Which means bro, for those who might not know. Which is a male sibling, just in case you don't know what bro means. I don't understand how that word can be inclusive, but man cannot be. Just... I'm an old man wondering, what is going on? <laughs> All right, side note, that's, uh, we'll put that off to the side. Because when I ask the question of my high school kids, they look at me like, what do you, you don't even get it. What are you talking about, Dad? What do you mean, I'm t- what, do you mean what I'm talking about? Does not anyone else see the irony of that? Okay. So in order to deal with Bruce's question, we have to cultivate a civilization of love. And this is precisely what the church should be. It should be a civilization of love. Why is that? Well, I don't know if you knew this, but God is love. 1 John chapter 4. And he calls humanity, or creates humanity, through love and for love. With love, for love, a lot of love. And that love, then, is always uh, directed towards another person. So this idea is that love creates communion with another person, and a bunch of communion of other persons creates community. And we see this, of course, in Jesus. Again, I'll just desperately, I'll just keep going back to that sermon. Jesus negotiates all night for you. So he creates communion between him and you, but of course, that communion creates community. How does that happen? Well, let's look at the Holy Family. The communion between God and Mary child. The communion between Joseph and Mary, which we'll actually talk about later, creates more, creates a life. And what happens then is all other families then are invited into that communion precisely through Jesus, which then creates community. Okay, but what's really important about this, though, is is that 
as we look through, as we look, let's say, I mean, I love this picture, by the way, the one by Cameron Smith. I love this picture. So as we look at this, we say, well, where's the cross? Where is salvation in this? Well, it's in Jesus. And what is he doing? Who is Jesus' father? Trick question. Primarily the Heavenly Father, right? What does he do? He puts himself under his earthly father. Okay. That means he has to die to himself. He, has to, he could say, hey man, I don't have to listen to you. I got the Heavenly Father. But he doesn't. That's, I think I put that in there. Yeah, Luke 2, 51 and 52. Because all, so Jesus' love is already displayed. The, cro- the love of the cross is already displayed when he puts himself under the care of Mary and Joseph. And we see that when he goes to the temple, right? They're looking for him. Mary says, hey, man, what, why, why did you do this to your father and mother? And what does Jesus say? Well, I'm about my, I'm about my father's house. I'm about prayer. But what does he do? He goes back with them and puts himself under the care of them. That is a form of self-giving. It's the idea of giving himself to his parents, which is kind of the backbone of the fourth commandment, but we'll, we'll get to that later. But the whole point, though, is, is that this idea of love that Jesus has and wants to create this community is already exhibited in the Holy Family and, and think about this, right, in this picture, right? He, I mean, look, look how comfortable he is. How at ease he is. He's doing exactly what he should do. So, that love that Jesus has displayed on the cross and then kind of lived out in that family is the same love that's poured into your hearts. Romans chapter 5, 5. It's, it's the one you receive in holy baptism. But that love then is cultivated by the vine dresser, which is Jesus, John chapter 15, 1 through 5. And, and how does he do that? Well, through his word and sacraments. So this love that we've been given, again, you've been given all the gifts all at once, and now it has to be cultivated. It's cultivated by Jesus through the word and sacraments. Hopefully... If you had last week's outline, that would, be, that would make sense. But we must always understand that it's not for you. It's for you with the intention for another. Side note. Uh, we give thanks to you, Almighty God, that you have refreshed us through the solitary gift. And we implore you that are the same. Anybody want to? We should... That we should live, oh yeah, live life in faith towards you and in love towards another. So this is the point is that, so uh, the gift that we receive from Christ or from God is faith, but the end result of faith is not us, but it's the life of love towards our neighbor. And, that, and that's what we see in the Holy Family, precisely through Jesus. I mean, for those who are parents, 
Isn't it a great gift when your child just sleeps, especially through the night? That's what I always think about when I think of the Holy Family there. All right, so the Holy Family is a civilization of love. And this is something that I think we have to really, really meditate upon, which means it's a civilization of persons. I don't say people. Persons. If you put a bunch of persons together, you do get a people. But I, I want to emphasize persons and not things. So there, what I'm trying to get is, is that we, we want to think about ourselves as a civilization of love, which is primarily a civilization of persons and not a civilization of things. Because we can only love persons. You can only love, and this is a real hard thing for confirmation kids. Brad and Tashiana, you do not have to do this. But I always challenge kids, do your animals love you? Yes, of course. The hard question is, do you love your animals? Absolutely, Pastor. I said, no, you can't. What? I said, you can only, you can only love persons. So you have to argue whether, uh, now this is a real debate, if you go in the ancient times, do animals have souls? It's a good question. Do animals go to heaven? So there's a lot of connections in this discussion. But, um, only, you can only love persons. The reason why that is is you can only give yourself to a person and that person can actually fully receive you. And likewise, that person can give in return. Now, listen, I, I've heard all the arguments about animals, but I, I'm going to stick to it. Okay, but contrary to this is the cult of uh, civilization of things. And this is a real hard thing. Because if you boil down all the brokenness in family, whether they intended it or not, the fundamental sin is rather than treating the other as a person, you treat it as a thing. And how does that get played out? Well, first of all, the thing is an object. And how many times have we ever been on the receiving end or the giving end? Which that's actually ironic. You can't you don't give yourself to things. How many times have we used people as things or have been used as things. And I, I just go right to the point. The diabolical lie is family will make me happy. If you have a family to make you happy, you need to repent. That's hard to hear. I'm not saying family won't make you happy because my family makes me happy. But if you have family to make you happy, what's the end result? of your actions, or who? Well, it's me. I'm going to have a family to make me happy. I'm using my family. I've just created a civilization of things. So again, when we, when we think of things, we think of objects, like a podium or a microphone, piece of paper. We have to challenge ourselves to think about how many times have we used people as things. I'm conscious of this all the time, and I do it every day, as much as I don't want to do it. So those who are unconscious of it, I can only imagine how many times people do it. Well, first of all, there's no healing in a civilization of things. So this is why families are wounded. But of course, our family is healed by Jesus. Through the forgiveness of sins, 
and sending the Holy Spirit into our hearts. That's real, true, and there's countless examples in this room of that reality. So it's not just head knowledge. It's real knowledge. Now, one of the great things, though, is forgiven spouses and families. Once this forgiveness takes place in a person and towards other people, then you're alivened by Jesus' love, and that love heals your wounds. Now, again, there's, there's natural consequences to your sin. You know, just because you return the money to the bank doesn't mean you're not going to jail. You still go to jail. You stole it. Um, so just because you say to your family, I'm sorry, I want to do better, doesn't erase all the effects of the sin. However, it gives you power to start chipping away at that pain and suffering. The, the, okay, so this capacity to heal comes, of course, from the forgiveness of sins. And, okay, this is, I said all this already. Oh, oh yeah, well, okay so, you're, okay, so finding your spot in the Holy Family is first to be loved and then to love. So if you go, I mean, I, I love this statue again, The Quiet Moment by Timothy Schmaltz. You think here, I think it's kind of interesting because who is the primarily one who's beloved in, the, in that statue? What's Jesus? So we always think about our place in Jesus as being the receiver of love from him. But when we are incorporated into Christ, we also are the beloved. And our first stance is receiving love and receiving that love of the Heavenly Father, which of course Jesus is called the beloved at his baptism. Then we now are rest securing in this holy family right here. Now, again, this is, this is the way it's supposed to be, but we all know it's not that way. But because we're joined into that little baby Jesus right there, we then have the Holy, we have the Holy Spirit, we have the power, and we are enlivened then to start repairing the wounds and the brokenness. For those, for, okay, so, you know, I'm a parent. I'm a child, too. Uh, so one of the things, one thing, so one of the things is that I, you know, my parents aren't perfect. Any parents out there are perfect? Anybody? Any of your parents perfect? No. Okay. But as I grow older now, and I've been trained in the forgiveness of sins, now I look towards them with that same forgiveness that I have received. And, you know, at times I'll say to them, listen, Dad, my kids just want to be with you. They don't want you to clean my car. Okay. Love language. Love language. Somebody laughed over there. You know what I'm talking about, right? Okay. My dad's an act of service. Love language. I could go on for that story. That was a very interesting conversation I had with my dad, finally. Where I realized my dad is doing what he needs to do. So this, but he's not listening to my children. He's, he's just, he thinks they're just like him and they want to be loved just by him. But love does not treat people like yourself. Because if that was the case, I would give everyone ice cream, including the lactose intolerant, and it would be their problem. They don't like it. <laughs> I've learned through Jesus to be beloved, which means then I can forgive my parents. I mean, that's a silly example. There's 
deeper, and I don't feel comfortable sharing those with you. Deeper examples. But when I learn that I'm loved by Christ, I can forgive them and build that relationship with them. Which then, as a beloved, it turns me into a lover. And that's how um, healing then comes within the family. George, George Marcus, you had a question. George, you have a question? Yeah, when you, when you talk about true love, yes. it's not this um, relation between a, a husband and wife or a girlfriend and boyfriend. It is agape love. And you're not going to expect anything in return. You may see a problem down the block with your neighbor. Yep. And, okay, you pick up the garbage and somebody screwed out. He's never going to know. She's never going to know. All right, that's a great example, George, yeah. That's a love. Yeah, okay, hang on. So this is, uh, we're going to get to this more fuller probably in the spring, but he said it's not a love between a man and a woman. Well, that's true. I mean, I don't, I don't go help my neighbor clean up their garbage unbeknownst to them because I'm in love like a, my wife, right? Like I'm not in love with my wife. Okay, so what, actually, we're going to get into this notion of what spousal love is. Spousal love is, is a self-gift. And Jesus precisely does, again, we're going to go back to the sermon. Jesus gives up his life for his bride on the cross. That's self-gift. That's a spousal love. But that characterizes all love, including walking down the street and cleaning up their garbage. So, while I, I understand what you're saying, George, I also want us to be challenged to think about how that how all true love is spousal love because that's precisely what Jesus does on the cross for his bride put that to the side hopefully it's not too confusing we're out of time what we're going to get to okay so how does this live out okay we're going to get to the next part is male and female I'll give you a little tidbit here because God creates the family with differences. And these differences have equal dignity, but they're meant for unity. So the world, how is the world trying to get us to be unified? It's by erasing differences. Just, I mean, just watch the news, right? That is not how Jesus, that's not how God sees it. Our differences are meant precisely for unity. Who who you think would love to make our differences a source of conflict? Who would love to do that? Satan, of course. But Jesus makes us different. Well, first of all, let's go back to the beginning. Adam and Eve are different, but their differences are meant to join them together. Our bodies reflect this. But going from our bodies, then, is the unique gifts each gender, male and female, have for the other. And again, this is something that is so pervasive throughout our society. I mean, this, this is an issue, that the church has something very, like, very good in healing to, 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 to share. Real quick, and then we'll pray and go. I have a picture here, Behind Every, or Every Great Man by Kevin Williams, local Chicago. Uh, uh. I just want to make sure I give you the full picture here because it could be interpreted in, inappropriately. Yeah. Oh, Derek. 
slight apologies for the almost purely technical question. Are the written notes going to be available online to us somehow? Well, I can send them to you. Yeah. If anybody really wants, so yeah, definitely. Um, th this one thing, though, about the thank you, Derek. The picture here, the reason why I have that picture here, though, is because it's the antithesis of what happens in Genesis 3. Behind every great man is a praying woman and children. A little baby there who's, who's reaching up for the, the, the cross. Beautiful. Jesus exposes something in John chapter 8. The woman caught in adultery. Who's behind her? Is it a praying spouse or is it an accusing man? It's an accusing man. So what we find in John chapter 8, is, I mean, there's a lot of very interesting things. Like I said, I try to like, so next week what we're going to deal with is we're going to jump right to the male and female and how in our gender as male and female, meant for the other, the civilizational love is cultivated. And again, if you have questions about stereotypes, feel free to bring them. Yeah, we'll just leave it at that. Because I think anything I say will probably open a can of worms. So come next week. We'll just get started. Because uh, after male and female, then becomes marriage. And whether you're married or not, you actually are married. That's weird. Whether you have biological children or not, you're a father or a mother. And of course, everyone's a child. All right, let's pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. All right, see you next week.